Welcome to the Conversations with Jesus podcast. I'm Johnny Lehman, a baptized man of God who has the amazing blessings of being a husband, father, and the pastor at Divine Savior Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. This podcast is designed to bring you the self-sacrificing love of Jesus found in the Bible through 15 to 20 minute episodes that focus on relevant life issues and what God has to say about them. Check out our website, DivineSaviorChurch.com, as well as our Facebook and Instagram pages if you would like to find out more about the incredible things that God is doing through our church family. As we continue making our way through the incredible book of Proverbs, this week's topic happens to be envy. Now, Envy is being unhappy at other people's happiness and rejoicing when others weep. Pretty sad, isn't it? We have to deal with envy because it hides itself. And who wants to admit they rejoice while others weep? And it sucks the joy out of life. Envy poisons your ability to enjoy the life you've been given. We are always comparing and complaining. And the way to eliminate envy is worship. Giving thanks and glory to God for what he has given us and how committed he is to us. And knowing what Jesus went through for us. Jesus was forsaken by God so we wouldn't be. Jesus could have envied, but he didn't. So look at the hope of what is coming for us in the future. One day, we will get exactly what we want. No need for envy in God's wise life. And that's going to be the focus of this week's podcast. The two parts of the Bible that we'll be looking at for this podcast are Psalm 73 and Proverbs 23. First, Proverbs 23, verses 17 and 18. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. And now Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is God's word. Kickstart our conversation, our podcast about envy. I'm going to describe the movie character who is rated as the sixth most envious movie character in history, according to the movie rating website IMDb. And if you have kids listening with you, I think they might be able to figure this one out, maybe even before you. So, this character constantly compared his life with his brothers, he was consumed by how much he wanted that life. It led him to sorrow, solitude, and sarcasm. He eventually murders his brother, but the life he thought he would have is anything but. Death, decay, destruction, disrespect, that's all he experiences. And then the protagonist comes and saves the day and restores everything to how it should be. I'll give you a hint. He's a lion. 
Any guesses? If you're guessing Scar, you are correct. Because he let his envy take over, he lost it all. Which is exactly what envy does. It takes over the controls of your heart so that your aim in life becomes self-justification according to what you think will give you a reason for existing. But if we're going to eliminate the corrosive spiritual acid of envy from our hearts, we need to know what envy is, why it's dangerous, how only Jesus can fully eliminate it, and from there, we will see what the grace-enveloped, envious-less life looks like. But first, what is envy? Asaph's going to help us with that. Now, Asaph, he wrote a bunch of psalms, and when he wrote Psalm 73, he was reflecting on a time in his life when he was stuck in envy. Just look at what he says. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, notice how he's not upset over the arrogance of the wicked. He's upset about their prosperity. He's not angry because they're dishonoring God. He's angry that they have the life he wants for himself. That's envy. Envy boiled down is really wanting someone else's life. It's the deadly spiritual disease of comparisonitis. It leads you to bitterness and discontent with what God has given you. And it leads you to spitefully rejoice when others fall. It's this desire within, not only to have that person's life, it's resenting them for even having it. Living in envy sucks the joy out of your life, and it leads to a constant uneasiness. Comparisonitis just leads to a constant game of, do I measure up? But that's not the life God has given you and me. It's not a life of envy, but a life of steady. Look at how God studies us in Psalm 73, verse 23. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Even as we slip, he continues to hold us. He continues to steady us. Why? Because that's who he is. His love for you never leaves, never looks elsewhere, never lets you down. He holds you up. And such a thought is designed to capture every last mental inch of our imagination. To think the Lord of all is so intentional, so unashamed, so intent in keeping me as the apple of his eye. It leads us to worship him, to stand in sheer wonder at his magnificently personal, enduring love. What does envy do? Well, envy is the antonym of worship. Worship says, Lord, you are my life. I love you more than any other. Or as Asaph puts it, whom have I in heaven but you? Envy says, not good enough, not fair. And eventually, you're not enough for me, God. That's where we find the existential danger of envy. It leads us on the spectrum, to the spectrum of discontent, swinging between self-pity, which is reverse envy, and bitter happiness, which is forward envy at another's expense. Now, how many of us deal with that self-pitying every day? So let's start with the reverse envy side of things. True confession, that's long been a serious struggle for me. It's looking at my circumstances compared to others, and it seems like I can see God's grace working in everyone else's life much more clearly than in my own. It's the constant, if I just had this, then I could enjoy life. 
But that's what envy masked as self-pity does. It's a vacuum pump on joy. It poisons you and me from being able to enjoy the life you have. With envy, nothing is good enough. Not your family life, not your love life, not your body, not your work, not your friends. Because you feel like there is always something wrong and you're constantly comparing. That's reverse envy. Now on the flip side, forward envy, the bitter happiness angle is there too. And it's not just when the rich and famous fall that we get a little bit of pride, but that envy even happens with people we admire. Why do you think social media can be so toxic? We scroll endlessly looking for self-justification to feel better about ourselves, but it never fills that hole. How many of our teens today are searching for validation about their beauty, their intelligence, their value through likes and hearts and followers? When we lose sight of the one who is steady in his love for us, we lose sight of true contentment and identity. Now, as I prepared this podcast, I knew part of my preparation had to be analyzing my own envy. And you know what I found? Found within this heart of mine, envy of other pastors, envy of the seeming ease of other people's lives, but even deeper than that, I found that what and who I envy truly reveals where I'm functionally looking to prove my existence at the everyday level of life. Soren Kierkegaard wrote about that. He was a 19th century Danish Lutheran philosopher. And he said it really, really well in his book, The Sickness Unto Death. He says, when a person simply does what the quote-unquote others do, he or she is just one more ant in the anthill of human society. Such a person has a self which is completely determined by the world, which means it is not a self before God. So here's our next big question. What are you living before? Whatever or whoever you are living before, if the face before you isn't Jesus, you will be eaten up by envy, and even the good things you have will end up tainted with disappointment and discontent. Such is the envious life Satan has in mind for you, a constant comparison loop that disintegrates you. John Brug said it this way. John Brug, he was a professor at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary for a long time. He said, envy is a corrosive acid that eats away at contentment and faith. It's true. Our envy reveals to us how incapable we truly are, how mightily insufficient we are, and how if left on our own, we would never satisfy ourselves. We can't. And such has been our struggle since the fall. I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve, they had it all. And God gave them not simply a rule, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he gave them a way to say, I love you. He gave them a way to worship him. But that wasn't enough for them. That wasn't enough. God had one simple way for them to say, I love you, but they, they wanted more than that. That wasn't enough for them. And ever since, you tried and failed to recapture what once was. To experience justification, wholeness, unfiltered joy. It's impossible for envious sinners like us but it's accomplished by our unenvious God who considered his mission with pure joy, even though once forsaken. We know by faith what Asaph says is true. That despite our falling, through faith we are always with the Lord. When we reach out our hand in repentance, we realize 
Our Heavenly Father's hand has always been right there, holding us up as His dear children. But there was one son of His who reached out His hand and grasped nothing but air. The son who faced our loneliness alone. The son who was dogged every second he walked among us to give up his mission in exchange for the acclaim and admiration of this world, the temptation of comparisonitis all around him. But he is the son who said from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he didn't say, This isn't fair. This should be him. This should be her. Instead, he placed his hands willingly down on that cross so that one day those same hands could embrace you and give you a joy that makes the endless social media scrolling cease, the consuming comparison game stop, and your envy fade away. It's those same hands that reach down through His Word and through water, make you a baptized child of God. We're celebrating two baptisms this Sunday. It's those same hands through the Gospel to tell you again and again, you are dearly loved. We look at the once forsaken Son and we see in Jesus our justification for existence. The need to prove is gone. The need to envy is no more. It's the beautiful movie of faith, thematic wonder of letting yourself be caught up in the climax of the greatest true story ever told. As Asaph put it, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. By faith, we no longer envy those who aren't going through the suffering we are. Instead, grace radically shifts our view of pain. We see such moments when everything else seems to fade away. We see those things as precious. Because often the more we lose in this life, the clearer Jesus becomes. As we age as we bear our crosses, we look up to Him and we look with confidence toward our certain future. Did you catch how the writer in Proverbs, Proverbs 23, 17, 18, how he captures that future? One Bible translation, it's called the message, it says it this way and it's really, it really says it well. Don't for a minute envy careless rebels. Soak yourself in the fear of God. That's where your future lies. Then you won't be left with an armload of nothing. I just... It captures the thought so well. We see this fading away and we join it with ASAP. My flesh and my, and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Envy gives way to grace and our hearts become transfixed in worship. It's that worship, that awestruckness of Jesus and His grace that sets the tone for our parenting for our marriages, for our texting, for even our thinking. By faith, we see what the Christ-justified life is all about. It's worship. Envy leads to an embittered soul. We're like brute beasts raging out of control and destructive. But worship comes from a soul that finds its rest in God alone. Worship not just in our church homes, surrounded by our family in Jesus, a non-negotiable gathering that reorients us to who we are, and what Jesus has done, that is such, corporate worship is so important. But worship happens also when we put milk in our carts. Worship happens in the doctor's office. Worship happens as we lay down for the night. Worship is our lifestyle. Marveling that no matter where we go, no matter what task stands before us, 
it's all meaningful to the Lord. The Bible says our Heavenly Father delights in you and me, His children, and the work He's called you to do. You may look at the callings He's given you and think, what I'm doing isn't nearly as important as what she's doing. But remember, though you've been called to do what's given to you. And when God sees you and He sees you living for Him, worshiping Him and everything from eating and drinking to praying, He smiles widely. And such a thought destroys our envy. God loves me. God delights in me. And when we know the Lord's delight in us, His children, when we know His constant, steady love and forgiveness and His forgiving and, and loving and yet at times painful discipline, you know how else we worship Him? We worship Him by praising Him for the gifts He's given others. We don't live embittered. We live as encouragers, praising those who have a gift we long to have, but praising the Lord that He gave such a gift. I mean, can you imagine what our conversations, what social media would be like if such things were communicated in that way? Not endless comparison, but endless worship and who our God is and what He's empowering His people to do. No more parent-shaming, no more self-pitying, no more constant measure-upping a pure astonishment at the measureless grace of Jesus. This is the life Jesus won for you, free from envy by his incomparable love. And such love inspired a hymn from many, many years ago, a hymn that's long captured the joy of the envious heart of the Christian. And it's one I'm fairly confident will be sung at my funeral one day. The song is called, Why Should Cross and Trial Grieve Me? Now the person who wrote it, his name is Paul Gerhardt. He was a pastor in 17th century Germany. And if there was anyone who could have had a right to be angry with God and envious of others, it was him. In a matter of a decade, he lost his wife and four out of his five children to death. But in all that, it wasn't envy consuming his heart, but joy-filled worship. This is what he wrote. Why should cross and trial grieve me? Christ is near with his cheer. Never will he leave me. Who can rob me of the heaven that God's son for me won when his life was given? You know the answer. No one. And all God's people said, Amen. My prayers are with you as you live in that joy-filled contentment, knowing who your God is, knowing His certain love for you, and living each day, seeking to do nothing more than worship Him in everything you do. God's richest blessings as you live for Him. Mm -hmm.